Has anybody got a match? Thanks. Now I can light an old gold and listen to The Sad Sack. Out of the pages of Yank, the Army Weekly, comes the hero of World War II, the beloved and eternal buck private created by George Baker. Old Gold, the cigarette that does more to give you more. Old Gold is proud to present the Sad Sack. Returns, the conqueror comes home. Yes, the sad sack has just been discharged from the army. Let's follow him as he walks up the front steps of the boarding house he left four long years ago. One thought burns in his brain as it has in every soldier's to get into a civilian suit and to see his girl. Welcome to a very special episode of FW Presents, the anthology show of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, Theodore Dean Shag, and along with me is my co-host, the not ready for prime time, Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? Baseball has been very, very good to me. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> That's what the show's going to be, folks. Just Shag and I doing horrible SNL impersonations That's for, exactly right. for 45 minutes. I hope you enjoy Satan. Anyway, um, oh, oh God. Not, I know I'm picking the later years. Yeah, you're not even not even in the right era. Oh my God. Well, it's we didn't say we were going to focus on that era. I mean, if we're going to do, or if we're going to fill an hour and a half airtime of quotes, I'm going to have to dip into something. Everybody, Maybe. stay tuned through in stock trades, and then you can bail after that. <laughs> Just wait till I get to my Adam Sandler songs. Um, oh. So we are going to have a little fun this time. We're going to laugh today. <laughs> As opposed to the other episodes. <laughs> well, you know, in those episodes, people are dying and getting mauled. Here, We're here today specifically to celebrate things that make us laugh. Rob, why don't you explain the premise of today's episode? Well, yeah, originally Shag and I wanted to do this episode, which is focusing on humor comics, or funny books, as I'm calling them in the episode title, uh, on April Fool's Day, because, of course, the, this episode would have uh, dropped on April Fool's Day. But because of scheduling, uh, and we wanted to keep Husu on track, we are moving the shows out of order, which is why this humor episode is dropping a week before April Fool's Day, and the Husu episode will be out on April Fool's Day. So in case you're wondering why we're kind of doing it backwards, that's the reason, because we wanted to make sure Husu who came out on time, people. That's right, because we can't do Who's Who this week because there's too much damn research. Just yes. saying, folks. Yes. <laughs> I, have to, I have to read the comic. That would be a first. That would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to focus April Fool. <laughs> too early, too early. Boy, we're going to play the hell out of that on Who's Who. There lots of April Fool's. <laughs> like, forever people are the best. But anyway, uh, we're focusing on two specific humor comics. We're going to focus in on an issue of Marvel Team-Up that's very funny. And I am going to finally going to get a chance to talk about my much-beloved Sad Sack comics. <laughs> Can't freaking wait! <laughs> Sorry, I laughed so hard I coughed. But before we get much further, we should probably take a second to thank our sponsor. Folks, this episode of FW Presents is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Rob, I hope you brought something funny this time. 
I did actually. Well, maybe it's funny. I haven't read it myself, but uh, but <laughs> as you well, I recommend lots of things that I haven't read yet because uh, they might look interesting to me. Uh, as you might imagine, this particular issue of Marvel Team Up I'll be talking about, where Spider Man meets the Not for Ready Primetime Players, is not available in reprint form. It is one of those dreaded licensing problems. So I guess the Marvel Team Up reprints skip this issue. They go right from seventy three to seventy five. So this issue is not available in any sort of reprint form. And there isn't a lot of Saturday Night Live related stuff in comic book form, again, as you might imagine. But I got close. One is the uh, the Ghostbusters comic book series. Now, oh. I have never read any of the Ghostbusters comics. It's not because I have anything against them. I just never gotten around to it. It's hard for me to imagine like how this how that works because the movie is so verbal and like how does it work as a comic book? But Ghostbusters is, as a comic has been around a while. There's been a lot of different series, so I'm kind of curious about it. So if you want to try it, this pick I found on Suck Trades is a nice probably cheap way of doing it. It's the Ghostbusters 100-page Spooktacular. Get it? Uh, It's from from IDW, and it's who you're going to call for some seriously spirited fun. The Ghostbusters, of course. The gang's all here. Stance, Spengler, Zed Moore, and Venkman in this specially priced 100-page Spooktacular from haunted Thanksgiving turkey, zombified marshmallow monsters, time-traveling terrors, haunted costume parties, all the way down to the bowels of hell itself. Join the Buster crew as they battle the supernatural scary and the silly in the special reprints of IDW's hit comic book. Writers are Scott Lobdell, Alec Burnham, Peter David, Kathleen David, Keith Champagne, James Edock, and artists are Tom Noyan, Dan Schoening, and Kyle Hotz. It's 100 pages, as I said. The normal price is $7.99. In stock trades price, $5.59. That's 30% off. So if you, like me, have never read any of the Ghostbusters comics, this is probably like the most low-cost, kind of dip-your-toe-in-the-water way of doing it. And, of course, it's based on the classic film, featuring two members of the Saturday Night Live gang. So, Ghostbusters 100-page spooktacular. That's a great suggestion. I, I, I've i actually read a couple of issues of the Ghostbusters comics, and they're fun. They're lots of fun. And you see, you have a hard time imagining what it would be like in comic form. Well, keep in mind, Ghostbusters was also a very splashy visual thing with ghosts and monsters. Right, sure. And, you know, crossing the streams and all that. And it's funny. And it's it's really – it's a great format. It, comic books is a great format for Ghostbusters. And interestingly enough, I have a buddy of mine who is a Ghostbuster cosplayer. And he got hooked up with a bunch of the other I – mean, it's actually a really interesting group of people. They do the cosplay they do for Ghostbusters. It's fascinating to, to hear them talk about it all. They get really into the mechanics and stuff. But anyway, him and a couple of guys ended up being photo reference photo references for some of the people who did comics. Oh, and sure, so what they yeah. would, So what they would do is they would ask these Ghostbuster cosplayers to come to a, a studio. They'd take a bunch of photos of them for the artist, and then the artist would use that as photo reference for the cover. So my buddy – is basically Venkman on a lot of Ghostbuster comic covers. Oh, that's cool. Wow. It's pretty cool. And you can see it, too. You look, you're like, oh, that is clearly Robbie. Oh, my gosh. So it's pretty cool. Well, my pick is also in the funny, funny market. I picked, and I may have, you know, I may have actually done this comic once before as a, as a promotion, but it's just so freaking good. I picked Franklin Richards' Son of a Genius Ultimate Collection trade paperback. This thing is an absolute, it's book two. Uh, the Franklin Richards Son of a Genius series was around, I don't know, probably in the 2000s or so. And it's, it's, a, it's Chris Eliopoulos is, is the artist on it, and he's amazing. And it really is sort of Calvin and Hobbes meets the Marvel Universe. Because it's all these great stories about Franklin Richards as essentially the Calvin kind of character. And the Hobbes character is uh, Herbie the Robot from Fantastic Four. 
And they're always getting in these crazy misadventures. He's always messing around with stuff in his dad's lab that he shouldn't be playing with. He's always on the brink of destroying the universe. It's freaking hysterical. I used to buy this thing when it was coming out. They basically came out in specials. It wasn't like uh, an ongoing series. And it just cracked my butt up. Well, this ultimate uh, collection includes uh, the Spring Break special, the Not-So-Secret Invasion special, Summer Smackdown, uh, Sons of Geniuses, then it's dark, it's dark raining cats and dogs. They, they would because dark rain was a, a Marvel crossover at the time. So it's dark raining cats and dogs. Oh, it cracks me up. Uh, April Fools and schools out. I'm laughing right now. Uh, the writer with Chris Eliopoulos was Mark Sumrak, and uh, again Chris did all the art. Page count 184 pages. Normally retails for 19.99, but you can get it for 42% off. So it's only $11.59. And I promise you, you will laugh your butt off. Uh, if you know anything about Marvel Comics or enjoy them even remotely, these will be hysterical, especially if you like Calvin and Hobbes. It's even that much better. So for these and all your trade paper needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. All right. Well, we didn't talk about this on the front end, but I'm assuming we're doing Marvel Team Up first? A little no, more free- let's do Sadsec first. Really? Okay. Yes. All right. <laughs> Hell to the yeah. Okay. Well, folks, here's the thing. I'm going to go on the assumption you don't know who Sadsec is. Okay. Good assumption. Which is unfortunate, and they really should. Sadzak is started off life as a comic strip, okay? Uh, actually, a, a comic strip in some military uh, periodicals, then eventually made it to a syndicated comic strip in the newspaper, and eventually ended up as a comic book. And they're basically the adventures of a lowly soldier in the army who just can't get a break. Everything goes horribly wrong for this poor guy. Uh, and, and what I'm going to – the problem is that Sad Sack is, a, is your typical funny book like you would read when you were a kid. You know, it's, uh, it's 25 pages let's say and then it will be like a two-page strip which is funny and another two-page strip that's funny, maybe a five-page strip. It's a bunch of pratfalls. If I try and read you one of these strips right here, it's going to be like, and then Sad Sack fell down. <laughs> it was funny. Then Sad Sack's Sarge kicked him in the ass. <laughs> That's not going to work. So what I'll do is um, I'll describe two particular strips very briefly to you, just to give you sort of a sense for it. These are directly from the 1940s reprints. And uh, the first one is called Sleep. And uh, th- in, these, in these ones, they make good examples because there's no, there's no word balloons. So in the first one, Sack is getting ready to go to bed. And he, he lays out in the cot, and he can't sleep because the guy in the bunk next to him is snoring really bad. So he's, he's, he's driving him crazy. So he puts on a, like a woolen hat over his head. He wraps a towel around his ears so he can finally get some sleep. And thankfully, he can't hear the guy snoring, so he finally falls asleep. Well, unfortunately, he misses the morning revelry because he can't hear it. So everyone goes out there. Sarge comes in to find Sack still asleep in the bunk, and he gets in trouble and ends up having to do KP duty and peeling potatoes simply because the guy next to him was snoring. So it's that kind of humor. You know, it's, it's funny. It's cute. Uh, in this case, it's uh, the way it was printed in the newspaper at that point. It's just eight little panels put together. But you get the kind of the general idea. The poor guy. You know, he didn't really do anything wrong. It's just life doesn't go his way. Uh, another one I'll quickly describe to you is called Mail, where he's he's carrying from the post office. He's carrying this giant box of mail. I mean, it's it's stacked up over his head. He can't even see where he's walking. He's sweats pouring off of him. And George Baker is the artist. He's, he's very funny. Great, great line work here. So he's carrying all the mail. He can barely carry it. He gets it to the orderly room where he drops this giant stack of mail. And they start. And the guy orderly starts calling out and handing out mail to all the soldiers. Mail's flying everywhere. They get to the bottom of the box and, uh-oh, there's no letters for poor Satsack. He didn't get any mail. Everyone else did. So he starts crying and he's getting ready to leave. But then Sarge says, uh-uh, you don't leave yet. You have to pick up all the, op- the, the envelopes that have been thrown on the ground from everybody who did get mail. Aww. <laughs> Poor sad fact. But nothing ever goes his way. So uh, the, the comic is great. And I'm going to tell you a little bit. About the, I want to talk about the history of it because I find it kind of fascinating. The guy behind it, his name is George Baker. He was the writer and artist who created it. And uh, he created it back in 19... It, it's, we originally launched in 1942. 
And um, here's an interesting thing. Okay, the, the, you you've used the term sad sack on this show quite a few times. Do you know the actual origin of the name sad, the word sad sack? I or do the, not. So it comes from a military term, apparently. Now I'm, I'm pulling this from Wikipedia, so it's only so trustworthy. But it comes from military slang for throw the explicit tag if you wish. Sad sack of shit is what it comes from. It was a common term doing in the military used during World War II, and the phrase now sad sack has come to just mean an inept person or an inept soldier. But that's apparently where it originally comes from. So here's a kids, a beloved kids comic that's really a playoff of a curse word. <laughs> oh, it's kind of uh, like a Private Snafu. Oh, uh, oh! I just figured out what the fu part of it is. Yeah. Situation, oh, wow. situation, normal, all effed up. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, um, by the way, I should mention I, not only are these comics hilarious to me. Like whenever I find a new one or I get a new one or whatever, my daughter and I sit down and read them together. She's twelve and she still finds them hilarious. She thinks they're absolute hoot. So there's still a lot of love for this type of material. And I also owe a, a huge thank you to Professor Allen. He sent me a care package a while back and included some Sad Sack comics, which have been lovingly added to my collection. So thank you. All right, so George Baker creates Sad Sack back in 1942, but the situation before that was he went to six weeks of art training at night school, okay? That's it. And he gets this job as a commercial artist, but he got tired of drawing pots and pans, is what he said. So shortly after that, he moves to California, uh, but he and starts working for Walt Disney in 1937. In fact, he worked on Pinocchio, Fantasia, Dumbo, and Bambi. Good timing, man. Getting in, getting in on Disney in 1937. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Wow. And his specialty was drawing like uh, animations of thunderstorms and waterfalls and other kinds of effects. Then he gets drafted. So he's in the United States Army, and he ends up entering this cartoon contest. Uh, it was sponsored by one of the committees there. And the way it worked in the old days with, with military newspapers was pretty much anything they got for free, they would run because they were always desperate for content. So these comic strips come out, right? And they're part of this contest, so they're able to run them for free. So he got so his first comics got ran all over the place. So it got recognized fairly quickly. He won this contest, and then he was hired by a publication called Yank, which was the Army Weekly. And uh, he started doing Sad Sack starting in 1942, and it became the strip's most popular feature. Um, let's see. Very, very popular thing. And now, if you're wondering about uh, this, again, this idea of this military kid who can't cut a break and is always screwing up, things never go his way. And if you start to think about, sounds similar to like Beetle Bailey. Those of you at home are probably more familiar with Beetle Bailey. Well, Beetle Bailey wasn't invented until 1950, so Sad Sack actually beat him by eight years. Now, it's not to say uh, Beetle Bailey is a ripoff, because there was this whole sort of do I want to say cottage industry? I don't know, of military comics. Because military was um, probably a lot more on the tip of people's mind after World War II, you know? Oh, yeah. But, I mean, it, that's I, we figured that's why it was so popular for so long is because, it, you know, for a long time, most American males served in the military. Yep, absolutely. They could relate to this. So the strip starts in 1942, and it proved so popular that they actually published a hardcover collection of Baker's wartime sad sack strips. And it was published in 1944 in a hardback in... That's it right here in my hands. Um, I actually have a copy of it. I, I got it at Powell's Books in Portland, Oregon, one of my favorite – actually, my single favorite book bookstore in the entire world. And so that's where I got a chance to read all these old strips. And you can probably I – mean, they published so many things. This is like fourth or fifth printing. They ended up doing a soft cover that went around to um, – I don't think it was issued to the soldiers, but it was made available to soldiers and stuff like that. So you can probably still find copies of this in, if you search. Rob's just distracting me <laughs> with pictures of Sad Sack characters. I sent you a picture of Sadie Sack, the red-headed spin-off yes, character. I, I really want you to say she's hot. Uh, we'll get to his friends. How's that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I will. I will. Um, 
You can totally crack me up. So Satsat goes on to be very, very popular. Um, Baker gets discharged from military. You know, he finishes up his tour there and everything. And he, he ends up going out to Los Angeles and starts sets up Satsat as a syndicated comic strip for newspapers. Runs there till 1957. Then he sold the rights to Harvey Comics, which ended up producing a ton of Harvey Comics. Um, I mean, a ton of, of Satsat comics. Now, here's another sad thing. A lot of you probably don't know who Harvey Comics is. Can you imagine that, Rob? That is That's, that is pathetic. We need to start a Harvey Comics podcast on the network. Um, well, I get to do the sad sack segment. You can do Richie Rich because yeah. apparently <laughs> your past, your history. Exactly. So Harvey Harvey's most famous probably, and you probably have seen some Harvey Comics of like Richie Rich, Casper, Hot Stuff. They had a whole series of little girl books like Little Audrey, Little Dot. They did a ton of licensed characters as well, and uh, they published. They started publishing in the forties. Harvey published all the way until nineteen eighty two, and the only reason they really stopped. I mean, the sales were declining, but they had worked out a deal with Marvel, and Marvel was actually going to take over running Harvey Comics, which was really fascinating. Tom DeFalco did not Paul. know this. I found out through research tonight, but um, yeah, Tom DeFalco was involved in the deal, and at the last minute, the whole thing fell apart because apparently some of the Harvey brothers couldn't agree on the contract um, or, or, or some of the business dealings, and so not only did they not get published by Marvel, they ended up stopped publishing right after that. Oh, man, we could have had Sad Sack in Secret Wars. That would have been amazing. What? That would have been amazing. He would have kicked Galactus's ass, no <laughs> doubt about that. <laughs> so I sent Rob some uh, images earlier of a, some Sad Sack comics, and he was astounded by the by the issue number on that comic book. So I'm I'm just going to ask you, Rob, uh, amongst all the combined issues of Sad Sack, because let me tell you, there's a heck of a lot of spinoffs. How many Sad Sack comics do you would you guess Harvey probably published from um, the beginning when they started publishing them in 1949 to when they stopped in 1982? Well, that, that I don't know. I am looking at the Wikipedia page, which lists, uh, folks, there were no fewer than... I'm gonna, I, got, I got numbers on this. Don't worry. Okay, there were no fewer than 10 ongoing Sad Sack titles at one point or another. Yep. 10. 10 titles. Aquaman, and here's the thing. Aquaman uh, 2. That's the right. most Aquaman ever had. And that was just recently. <laughs> um, at any given time, well, no, I shouldn't say not any of it, but most of those years, there was about seven ongoings going at the same time. <laughs> now, some of them were quarterly, like some some were bi, some were monthly, some were bi-monthly, and some were quarterly. But either way, there was at any given time seven. I keep saying any given time, but it, through most of the run, seven different ongoings. Oh my gosh! So take a while, without doing the math, just take a wild guess. How many, you know, how many comics do you think they published? I, I know. Well, I mean, like the original series ran 287 issues by itself. I just so, want you to pick a number. All right, 500. 750. Good. <laughs> they published 750 Sad Sack comics, and how many do you see in the quarter bins nowadays? Almost none, which is crazy, right? I mean, maybe you're tripping over in New Jersey, but I never come across Sat Sack in the fifty cent bin, dollar bins. They should be, they should be full of them, right? I, but, you know, I wonder if. Well, that's a good. I don't know. I wonder if they, they don't survive, or maybe adults that read them have hung on to them or something. I think it's because the comic market changed in the seventies. Uh, because in the seventies, people wanted to collect the superhero stuff. That's what was popular, and so that's what they kept. Whereas these disposable funny comics, gone. I mean, I don't see any hot stuff. In the in the fifty seven mm. either, uh, I I see some Richie Riches, I see some Archies, but I don't see any you know Little Lulu or any of that stuff. You know, this would be gone. these would be the kind of comics you would find at like a like a barber shop, like in the you know yeah. the magazine rack or something. Somebody read while they were killing time, and then they put it down and they left. So I could see that. 
Yeah. Um, so, like like you said, I'm not going to go through every single one of these series, but Sadzak ran 287 issues <laughs> the main series. Right? That's amazing. That's, That's unbelievable. Amazing. They spin off Sadzak's Funny Friends, Sadzak and the Sarge. Now, Sadzak and the Sarge is probably the other most prolific comic. It won 155 issues, and, you, and if you find Sadzak, it's a good chance it's actually Sadzak and the Sarge. Then there's Sadzak Left Special, Laugh Special. One of my favorites is Sad Sadzak. <laughs> which is hysterical. <laughs> it had a good long run too, by the way. Uh, and, and there's all kinds of other various spinoffs and everything. Anyway, so um, now the numbers, the publication numbers in this, I did a little research. There's not a lot of distribution numbers information out there before like 1980 something, because that's when you know people started tracking that stuff closer. There's a great website called Comicron, uh, which tracks sales figures, and they actually have a couple of weird entries. Like they cover a couple of different years. Like they covered 1966 in one of these uh, little kind of special bonuses they did, and it shows all the various uh, the average distribution of a comic in that year, and Sadzak. Rated enough to be mentioned. Uh, on average, in 1966, it was uh, publishing 204,000 copies of Sad Sack. And keep in mind, that's just one of the seven series that were going at that point. Uh, that means they – and they, they just the Sad Sack series alone printed more copies than Doom Patrol, more than Sugar and Spike, and more than Sea Devils. Now, all your main superhero stuff was above it. Like Superman, the Superman titles and the Archie titles were about twice uh, the, of the run of Sad Sack. But I'm only mentioning this because I just want you guys to get an idea that, again, this comic, a lot of you have never even heard of. That's how huge it was. 200,000 copies were being sold of just one of the seven titles. Crazy. Personally, me, these I loved these comics growing up. I, I don't know how I got a collection of Harvey comics, but I got a, a stack of Harvey comics, I don't know, from somebody. And I, I had some Richie Rich in there. I, did not, I didn't have hot stuff, um, but it was primarily Richie Rich and Sad Sack. And I read the living crap out of those things. This is probably 1976, 77 is somewhere in there is when I was reading them. Did you ever read Sad Sack growing up at all? No, I've, the only Sad Sack comics I've ever read are the ones you sent me like a year ago. I didn't send them to you. I bought them for you. Heroes gone together. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. The, I meant that you gave them yep. to me. Yes. Did those, you laugh? Those are the, those are the, uh, no, I did not. Uh, <laughs> I will be honest. No, 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 no. When I read them, no. I, I, first of all, I did like the artwork a lot. Yes. I like George Baker's work a lot, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But, uh, no, I, I think I, I appreciate in that it's it's very consistent. Like, if, if it's the kind of thing you like, like it's that kind of humor and you like that – that's what you're going to get, and and there's something very comforting about that. It's sort of like a, it's like comfort food. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, there's not going to be crisis on infinite sad sacks. It's going to just be. There should be. There should be. But I mean, you know what I mean? It's just going to be like you know what you're going to get. It kind of like like Conan the Barbarian. You just know what it is you're going to get when you when you go into it. So it's, <laughs> I think that's and it's a, I always like that about Conan. You know what I mean? Like every issue of Conan, you know he's going to fight a monster. He's going to bet a woman down. He's going to drink a lot. And he's going to wander away. Like I don't I don't want you know. There's going to be variations on the style, but you're you're I I want what I want. And I think that's from Sadzak. It's like you want to laugh in this particular kind of style, and that's what you're going to get. And they were able to replicate that over 750 different comics, which is like, <laughs> how many stories is that? That's not 750 stories. That's right. Like, that's like 4,000 stories. Something like that, yeah. Crazy. So, okay, well, it, the humor works for me. And you're right, when it works, it works it, it, for each individual. Because, like, I'll read a Richie Rich comic now. I don't laugh that much. It's, I get it, they're funny, you know, it's about money, whatever. They well, don't, it's they very don't cra- true to my life, so. I mean. Well, right, well, that's maybe that's, maybe that's why I'm, I'm just hurting inside when I read a Richie Rich, but, <laughs> um, but Sats, yeah, but Sats, I just, I busted got laughing my head off. I just think they're hysterical. Maybe I watched too much Gomer Pyle growing up, I don't know. Do you have anyone uh, in your family that was in the military? Like, do you have any of that background at all? Not at all. 
Interesting. Not at okay. all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, did I have people in the military? Absolutely. My, my uncle was in the Navy, you know, stuff like that. But I, I, I was never really exposed to any of that. Everybody okay. was out of right. the military by the time I was Got born. So, right. yeah. So I, I, just, it, I just love it. I do. And this, this book, this collection from the 40s, though, is really great. Hey, Rob, as, as somebody who loves comic strips and even wrote a comic strip, an award-winning comic strip, um, this might appeal to you more because it's all what they call pantomime, I guess, which is where there's no dialogue. It's just mm-hmm. the strip that art tells the story. And, uh, and they're short little in and out eight panel things. They, they crack me up. The poor guy, he can't, can't get a break. You know, whereas, whereas Beetle Beetle Bailey's always purposely trying to slack off. Poor Sadzak tries to do the right thing. It just never works out. I think, um, we, can, I think we can all relate to that. Yeah, really. It's the story of all our nerds' lives, right? Uh, I did find a website called sadsack.net. Um, apparently, <laughs> well, no, no, no. It's, it's apparently the, uh, Right now, it's labeled, calling itself the official. It's, I mean, it looks like it was built in Adobe Go Live in 1998. It's really <laughs> low tech, guys. It's like a but, dancing baby down at the bottom. Uh, there's, there's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty bad. But they say they're the official website of Sadzak. I somehow I, they must have got the license. There's been all kinds of legal battles over Sadzak over the years. Some of them are very ugly uh, if you read about them. But um, so it. it, it Anyway, they are advertising a few new Sad Sack comics. Like, it looks like they have five issues, if I'm reading this right. Or five new issues of Sad Sack have been produced over the last 10 years or something like that. And you can order them. They're, they're not cheap. It's like 10 bucks. Uh, wow. But it's like 80, 80 pages and stuff like that. And new, supposedly new stories. I, I don't really know. Well, let's talk about a couple quick things. You mentioned the characters. Yes, the, the main characters are Sad Sack. Then his, the other main character is Sarge, who's basically his boss is always kicking his butt. Uh, then you get the, the general who's above the Sarge, who's always looking for to get on their case. Uh, Sack's best friend is Slob Slobinski. <laughs> the name pretty much tells you what you need to know there. There's uh, a dog named Mutsy who's always hanging around. And yes, there is Sadie Sack, who is a redheaded uh, <laughs> woman who's part of the whack. And I, I will go for Rob's sake. I will go ahead and say she's hot, but in the strip, she's supposed to be fairly hideous. And well, she looks like Sad Sack, which is right with a girl's hair. That's all. with red wig. Yeah, and I, I, we don't even want to go into the treatment of women in this comic. It's it's it is not not pro feminist. <laughs> it's not anti either. It's not, but it's just it's a product of its time. It's, it's product, a product yes, of product, you know. Of Product of his time, so just and his military, so just take it for what it is. You know, they're not trying to be mean, but they don't. They're not sensitive guys. They're not in touch with their, their feminine side. A um, <laughs> couple quick spinoff things I got to mention. Oh no, I was going to talk about the art. Okay, so George Baker, right? George Baker invents in the 1940s. Eventually, people take over and start drawing it for him. I, I believe that's during the. I don't know whether it was during the comic strip era in the newspaper or during the Harvey comic era when other people started taking over. But either way, George Baker continued to draw the covers of the Sad Sack comics all the way until his death. Um, which is, I'm pretty sure it was 1975. And I was sharing with Rob some of the art here. Like, I've, I've got some uh, as early as 1962, an issue from 1962, and I've got issues that go up to, like, 1977 and stuff like that. And you can see the progression of George Baker's covers, and then suddenly when he's not doing them anymore, um, it, it's a very stark difference. Now, I'm in love with these sad sack covers from, like, the mid-1970s, like 1975 kind of era. He, George Baker's art style had evolved and I don't know whether it was out of necessity because of health. I don't know if he just tried something different. But it evolved into a very, very like, – before that was pretty standard comic strippy stuff. But it evolved into the sort of very stylized image. And Rob and I were talking about off-air. I'm really trying to come up with the best way to describe it. I'll put some um, – no, you know what? I'm just going to let you Google. I'm not doing an image gallery for this thing, guys. Um, well, I don't know. Are we doing an image gallery for this? It's up to you. You're the one we who does that. Might, we might. What would you say? You're the one who does that. 
Yeah, we might as well. We'll do an image guy for this episode. I'll show you a couple different covers, folks. But I, the best word I can come up with is scratchy. It's almost scratchy because there's like a lot more lines than there needs to be. There's a lot more action lines. I, how would you describe the later stuff, Rob? It's a lot looser. Uh, I would say the, the, the samples you sent me from the earlier days look like uh, editorial cartoons. Uh, where you had to, you, you really couldn't get as as many lines because the thing was probably reproduced a lot smaller, and then even even on cruddier paper than even comic books were produced on. Um, later on, I think the stuff. I mean, you could see some comic strip artists like Charles Schulz or Hank Ketchum, who did Dennis the Menace, their style got looser over time. Other artists like Chester Gould and Dick Tracy got tighter and slicker, but uh, but a lot of them as they got older got looser and i actually like you i kind of prefer the later stuff from the stuff you sent me Mm -hmm. Uh, i kind of like the later stuff it has just more of an energy to it which i I like um he might have just been using uh different like pen nibs too to ink his stuff if you do you can get depending on what kind of uh either brush or pen nib you use you can get a different line and he might have just been doing that for him because he was just cranking out a lot more material or whatever but uh, yeah i kind of the the later stuff just has kind of a nice I don't know. It's 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 nice to look at. Yeah. So I'll post some early stuff and some late stuff so you can get a feel for it. And again, the insides though were done by different artists. And as I mentioned, the original strips were in pantomime. The later ones actually, the comics actually have dialogue and stuff, but they're super fun. So it definitely, you know, rummage through some fifty cent bins. Go see if you can find some, or you're at a yard sale or, or whatever. If you can come across them, I highly recommend you pick them up and just enjoy the heck out of them. Have have some fun with it. There's some interesting stuff I got to mention here, which is. Uh, it, what do you got? Basically, Sadzak getting into other media. So Sadzak appeared on the radio a few times. Uh, in 1944, there was a show called the GI Journal, and Sadzak was voiced by Mel Blank. Yeah, man, that's awesome. He was on a it made an appearance with Bob Hope and Betty Grable. So that's pretty awesome in 1944. And uh, then he would show his character would continue to show up quite often on throughout the GI Journal's show. And it, apparently, he delivered it sort of similar to the stammering way to Porky Pig. So that's fun. Then uh, in 1946, there was they they gave Satsack his own show, uh, a radio show for it was called a summer replacement. So it ran from June to September. But the part that cracks me up is it was a summer replacement for the Frank Sinatra show. <laughs> sure, same thing. <laughs> right, right. I mean, come on. So anyway, it uh, it went for a while. So um, I, I have the, to mention though before you get off this, I have, well, you I, have to mention. I'm sorry. I'm, well, I'm going to mention one of the guest stars. Who are you? What are you going to mention? I was going to mention who played Satsack. Oh, okay. Go ahead is an actor named Herb Vigren. And the reason that name is important to me is because he, he, well, he plays the nightclub owner Novello in White Christmas. Oh, okay. Very cool. My connection uh, to Sadzak. Well, do you know, and did you happen to see who some of the, the reoccurring roles were played by? Uh, you, yes, is Jim Backus. Jim Backus, yes, freaking Mr. Howell. Mr. Howell <laughs> from Gilligan's Island, isn't it? Oh, I want to hear this thing now. So, uh, And the other one, which is just absolutely mind-blowing was in 1957 they actually made a sad sack theatrical film uh, by Paramount which is you know kind of shocking a comic strip can get adapted that soon within 12 years or uh, what is that 15 years of its creation more importantly it starred Jerry freaking Lewis in 1957 I mean come on that's huge yeah yeah uh, that was like the like not the peak of his popularity but pretty close to it Still in black and white at this point. Um, and also starring as Phyllis Kirk is in it as well. Maybe, no, was it black and white? 
Yes, no. it's black and white. What? Yes. Oh, it was okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Phyllis Kirk plays uh, Whack Major Shelton. By the way, if you don't know who Phyllis Kirk is, Google her. She's hot. Um, there you go. Does that feel make you feel better? Supporting characters include uh, a lot of folks, including Peter Lorre. So I mean, it's I I sent Rob a, a YouTube link to it because it's all out there. Unfortunately, I sent you the Spanish one. Um, <laughs> it, so I, I know you didn't watch it because you would have said something. I found an English version myself, and I got through most of it. I did nod off because I was very tired, but it was funny. I mean, is, is it Peter or Jerry Lewis's greatest movie? No, but it's fun. It's, it's got a lot of military humor in it. Uh, it's you know the same kind of slapstick stuff happens. Nothing goes right for him, uh, so it's funny. We will it's, have to cover that on film and water sometime. Well, maybe. I mean, it's it's not a perfect representation of sad sack though because he is this version is also a bit of a like an idiot savant like he's a genius about certain things and that's not sack <laughs> so it's 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 a fun movie i don't know that it's a perfect interpretation of sad sack but it's certainly a fun movie with carries the name and and hopefully it made george baker a ton of money i hope so. i hope so well, if you want to extend the comic connection one of the other uh, supporting cast members of the movie is david wayne do you remember what uh combo character david wayne played no, I don't. He was the Mad Hatter on the Batman TV show. Oh, wow. Okay, okay. That's very cool. I did not put that together at all. Well, I, that's I, – I think I've played out all my sad sack love. I'll go back to my notes where you're talking about the other thing, and I'll see if anything hits me. But uh, I think that's going to do it. Why don't, you know what, why don't we take a quick podcast promo break? Then when we come back, we're going to cover – the not ready for prime time play. Oh, well, well you know, here, here's how we should say it. We're going to cover it's Saturday night. Hello, Paul. Hello. I am Dr. Herfenstaffner. Come in, come in, please. Take a seat. Take a seat. What can I do for you today? I uh, just, I just, I'm, I can't sleep. I, I, I can't focus on anything. The only thing I can think about is like DC events. DC event, as in the comic books, DC events. Yes, yes, the comic book events. Ooh, interesting. Uh, are we we talking things like Crisis on Infinite Earths? Yeah, yeah, totally that one. Yeah. Uh, Infinite Crisis. Yeah, yeah, that one too. Oh, very, very invasion, maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the uh, the Genesis. Uh, not so much. No. Oh. Well, I think it's really good if you talk about the things that are troubling you in your life. So maybe you should do a podcast about this obsession. What what do you call this obsession? What do you think it is? I think you're a unique case. I've not seen anything like this before in my office. I'm going to suggest that you have what we call DCOCD. What? DCOCD. You are obsessive and compulsive about your DC events. I think you should talk it out, get it out of your system via a podcast. I will help you, my friend. We shall do a podcast together about your DCOCD. Oh, okay. I won't even charge you for it. (laughs) Awesome. I don't think I can claim you on benefits. (laughs) Yeah, it's good. When should we start? Um, I'll get back to you on that. I'll check my I'll check my timetable. <laughs> cool. Ah, uh, after a long day of criminal activity, there's nothing I like better than to sit down and listen to the old radio.
Wait a minute, that's not a radio, it's Plastic Man! Plastic Man! Plastic Man! That's right, it's the Plastic Cast, a brand new podcast dedicated to Plastic Man. I'm your host, Max Romero. Together we'll be talking about Plastic Man in the Golden Age, the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, and every other age you can think of, right up to his upcoming reappearance in DC Rebirth. We'll also be talking about any Plastic Man news that might be coming up, and his appearances in every media from comics to cartoons. Makes me woozy just to think about it. I hope you'll join me to talk about the longest arm of the law, here on the Plastic Cast, here on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Live from the Fire and Water Podcasting Network, it's Saturday night! (laughs) Yes, we're here to talk about Marvel Team-Up number 74, featuring Spider-Man and the not-ready-for-prime-time players. Uh, (laughs) This book went on sale July 25th, 1978, which means it was between the third and fourth seasons of Saturday Night Live. The title of the story is Live from New York, it's Saturday Night by Chris Claremont, of course, by (laughs) Bob Hall and Marie Severin. After a year of waiting for tickets, yeah. hold on. Before oh you get, into I've it. gotten two seconds into the summation, and you're stopping me already. We well, didn't even describe the cover, for starters. Well, I'm gonna. Oh. And, and second God of all, forbid I do my synopsis the way I want to do it. <laughs> did I interrupt you during Sad Sack? During that four-hour yeah, yes. thing on Sad yes. Sack, I did. You not. sent me a picture of Sadie Sack, which totally threw me off my game. Now, I just want to point out where it says they're not ready for primetime players on the cover. It actually lists every all the cast's name. Yes, Which is wild. Yes, it is. We, we see them all, but I was going to get to all that. I really oh, okay. Well, then do your silly little synopsis. Whatever. Tra- oh, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I, love my, I have no enthusiasm for this now. All right. So uh, after a year of waiting for tickets, Peter Parker and Mary Jane Watson attend a taping of Saturday Night Live. They get there late, so they are seated high up in the balcony. They get shoved aside by a powerful man dressed in an usher's uniform, and Peter's spidey sense starts to tingle. The man heads downstairs. Peter realizes that he's heard his voice somewhere before. Meanwhile, backstage, Gilda Radner finds John Belushi and the other not-ready-for-primetime players preoccupied with a ring that John apparently received from a fan, which he has now put on but can't remove. The mysterious man enters a costume room where he orders his gang to come out of hiding. The man dons his costume of the Silver Samurai. (laughs) He tells his men that a ring of great value was inadvertently sent to one of the cast members. Their task is to help him recover it, but since he does not know who has the ring, they must be subtle, because one wrong move could bring down a flood of superheroes. Peter and Mary Jane find their balcony seats just as Don Pardo is introducing Stan Lee, the host for the evening, (laughs) and the musical guest is Rick Jones. They must have had a hard time getting a better guest. Uh, As Stan starts his routine, the Silver Samurai's gang begins to infiltrate the studio. When Peter spots one of them strong-arming a page, he reluctantly tells Mary Jane he has to leave. Spider-Man looks into the production room, and even though his spider sense is tingling, he does not see the group of thugs that are holding producer Lorne Michaels and his staff prisoner. Meanwhile, John Belushi is still trying to get the ring off, and he complains to Bill Murray that the thing gives him the creeps. Bill sees the Silver Samurai giving orders to his gang. Realizing that something sinister is afoot, he remains hidden until he gets a chance to hit one of the thugs with a prop Thor hammer. Then he dresses in the thug's clothes to infiltrate the gang, learn their plans, and tip off security. Bill's absence causes chaos during the live show, as he's supposed to be on stage for a weekend update. The samurai's thugs swiftly search the girls for the ring, but suddenly Spider-Man leaps among them. 
The samurai knocks Spider-Man into a wall, then slices open a steam pipe with his sword and fills the room with steam. In the confusion, the Silver Samurai escapes, but J Gilda and Jane Curtin grab one of the crooks. Unfortunately, he turns out to be Bill Murray in disguise. After Bill explains what he's doing there, Spider-Man and the women realize that the ring is that the samurai is searching for is the one John is wearing. Bill wants to call the police, but Spider-Man says it's a waste of time. The telephones are out, the security people are in the are the samurai's prisoners, and the criminals have the stairs and elevators covered. If they're going to stop him, they have to do it themselves, Spider-Man says. Then Spidey uses his webbing to return Jade and Gilda to the stage, before people start to wonder where they've gone. In her dressing room, Lorraine Newman has just finished donning her Miss Marvel costume when two of the samurai's thugs break in. When they see her, they think she is the real Miss Marvel, which stalls them long enough for Spider-Man to knock them out. When Dan Aykroyd, Garrett Morris, and Bill Murray arrive, Spider-Man quickly explains the situation. Spidey thinks that since the samurai's thugs seem scared to death of superheroes, they should turn that fear to their advantage. Thus, three thugs soon confront Thor, who is Garrett in disguise. Before they can do anything about it, however, Bill and Gilda electrify the catwalk and knock them out, rubber boots keeping Garrett from sharing their fate. Belushi, meanwhile, has dressed in his samurai costume and is walking through a corridor backstage when the silver samurai finds him. The samurai is offended by John's appearance, but when he sees the ring on John's hand, he slashes at him with his blade. Fortunately, Belushi stumbles and the samurai misses, and then the samurai chases him onto the stage where Stanley and Jane Curtin are improvising to keep the audience entertained. Suddenly, Spider-Man swings above the stage and challenges the samurai, who throws this sword and slices through Spidey's webline. Spidey falls into the crowd, but they think it's all part of the show. Belushi brandishes his own sword at him, but the samurai simply knocks it aside and tries to pull the ring off Belushi's finger. As John howls for help, Spider-Man web swings into the samurai. The ring, however, has begun to glow, and when the samurai is kicked aside, it slips off Belushi's finger into the samurai's hand. The samurai gloats that Spider-Man has turned defeat into victory, and as the ring's energy increases, the samurai says the ring is the core of a teleportation matrix that enables him to instantly transport himself anywhere on Earth. Then there's a flash of light, and the samurai vanishes. As the cast take their bows, Stan Lee comments that the live show is nothing like the rehearsals. Fortunately, the audience does not know the difference. Later, Peter joins Mary Jane. She is furious at having been deserted. At a table next to Peter and Mary Jane's in a restaurant after the show, John and Garrett discuss what happened. Apparently, the ring was meant to be delivered to someone named J.B. Lushi, whose offices are also at Rockefeller Plaza. But the address label was rained on, the ink smeared, and a postal clerk delivered it to John instead. <laughs> That's the end of the story. <laughs> now, I have to say, I did not have this comic as a kid. I just missed its publication because if, if I had... I would have eaten it up because mm -hmm. I was allowed to watch Saturday Night Live as a kid. My parents let me watch it, even though I didn't understand like half the jokes or maybe right. like three quarter of the jokes. So I would have just loved this of having a, a combination of comic books and SNL. But I never knew it existed until like many years later. I think I saw it in a back issue bin and I was like, what? <laughs> you know, like, what the <laughs> hell is this? And even though this comic's not considered to be all that great even by some of the people who made it and i'll get to that in a moment well I, uh, yeah i really enjoy it i think this is just a lot of fun i i think it's one of the better uh adaptations where they took like a, a live studio show and put it into a comic with a superhero i, I enjoy the heck out of it i like you I, I missed it during first publication and i picked it up Probably just right at the right time for me, which would have been probably 86, 87, 88. I was watching Saturday Night Live like crazy at that point. That's when Lauren Michaels had come back to the show. Right. You know, had reinvigorated it. And um, was it Nick at Night? Somebody was running a daily syndicated Saturday Night Live show. And it was like a half hour show. Right. Like it, the best of, of each of an individual right. episode. Yeah. 
Exactly. So you'd get 30 minutes out of the hour and a half. So you didn't get basically you didn't get the crappy skits that would they'd fill towards the end of the show. And they, you also didn't get the, the musical guests. So you really just got great stuff, you know. And so that's where I got exposed to all the great Saturday Night Live skits re- watching that show. So I got this comic I, I, like you. I saw it basically in a back issue. bin. I'm like, what the hell? So I picked it up and just I love it. I, I now hadn't read it since I bought it. So what's that? 30 years. So it was very uh, it was like reading it brand new for me. I, I thought some of the likenesses were really good. Um, Belushi's pretty good. Dan Aykroyd's uncanny. I think uh, like he, I didn't realize he's a human cartoon, but he really works well in comic book form. Uh, I think they missed the boat on Bill Murray. But, uh, you know, Garrett Morse was good. Gilda was good. Uh, Jane Curtin was good. So I, I thought all those likenesses were very, very well done. Yeah, I actually liked the artwork. I mean, I think I think it was a good idea getting uh, Marie Severin as the anchor because she was a great humor artist. Uh, I think she brought a lot to it. Bob Hall, I found an interview on a blog called uh, Chronological Snobbery, which is about this issue. Actually, this was pointed out to me on Twitter because I, I reached out to Lorraine Newman because she's on Twitter and I asked her about it. She didn't get back to me in time yet. But uh, another, someone else pointed out in, in a um, blog post they wrote about the comic and then it features a comment by bob hall who was the penciler slash editor of this comic which is unusual to have the editor he basically was the editor of marvel team up and he gave himself the assignment to draw it and Hmm. he he mentions that uh he didn't get to meet any of the cast they shook hands with lauren michaels and he got to sketch the studio but he said mainly it was him and claremont having meetings with nbc lawyers um so that was the, the the best part about it he does mention he says uh he got a trip – him and Jim Shooter got to take a, a trip to the premiere of Animal House where he got to meet John Belushi, and he smoked a joint with John Belushi. So that's a – Bob Hall, Bob Hall got to dine out on that. Uh, but Bob Hall was actually kind of critical of his own work, but I think it's pretty good here. I, I think it's a, a nice combo of Marvel style, what you would expect, but also mm-hmm. just enough humor – uh, and, and the likenesses are, are good that I think it works. I think you're right. I think the Belushi looks right. The Lorraine Newman looks good. Uh, Gilda Radner, I say, is a little off. Uh, but but, uh, okay. but Aykroyd, especially. I mean, it's probably hard. These are these are Aykroyd's re- amazing. Like, yeah, good. these are like real people. Lorraine Newman looks like Lorraine Newman. In fact, a couple of years ago, uh, Lorraine Newman has a fan page on on Facebook, which she maintains, and I'm a I'm a follower of that. And she mentioned SNL at one point, and so I've actually posted the panels. Um, of her dressed as Miss Marvel. And I was like, oh, it was just like this, right? When did this really happen? And she's like, oh, yeah, that exactly happened. I totally got absconded by crooks while I dressed <laughs> as Miss Marvel. Um, so, but yeah, I think it's a, it's a really fun book. I mean, Marvel, We in your previ- in the previous segment, we talked about um, Sad Sack, where you mentioned George Baker got in with Disney mm-hmm. uh, right before they got huge. And Marvel really had the right timing because this, as I mentioned, this book was published between the third and fourth seasons of SNL, and it was the fourth season of SNL where the show really exploded because it was that summer that Animal House was released, mm. and it turned Belushi into a movie star, and all these new fans came over to the show. I mean, the show like almost literally doubled its ratings in wow. from one season to the next. So they they really got in it just at the right time, probably maybe even a little early. Maybe if this book had come out like a couple of months later or something because it came out in the summer. But uh, but nevertheless, I, I used to love – I mean SNL never really did a lot of comic book humor uh, obviously because it just wasn't much in the culture. Of course, the most famous iteration say, is, the, is, the, <laughs> is the sketch in the fourth season when it was hosted by Margot Kidder where they did the uh, Superman party and right. that's that features – 
all these characters, including, of course, Garrett, Garrett Morris as Ant-Man is one of the great. <laughs> Belushi is the Hulk, of course. Superman, Ackroyd playing the Flash. Doesn't smell like roses. Yeah, a guy in a thin <laughs> costume, Spider-Man, Spider-Woman. I mean, for a kid, I remember watching that sketch as it aired, and I just... I just fell in love with it because it was like all these characters you never got to see like in live action. And the costumes are pretty good. Like Ant they are. Ant-Man's costume looks like it did in the comics. Like the costume designer really went out of their way to make it look like the comic book characters. It was quite astounding. It's sort of like this, their Star Trek skits at that time were also really well known. So, I mean, those two like showed the love they had for the or somebody had for the original source material. Definitely. Yeah. 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 So but it's in this story is fun. I said they have the idea of having Silver Samurai face off against Belushi and his samurai character makes a lot of sense. Uh, that's, it is, in, that's inspired. Yeah. It is kind <laughs> of interesting that this this comic book puts across the idea that Marvel Comics exists in the Marvel Universe. Because Spider-Man exists here, and yet Stan Lee is in this story as the publisher of Marvel Comics. So, well, so like, is there a Spider-Man comic book in this Marvel universe? I guess there is now. Well, they, um, Fantastic Four had that as a, as a running bit for years. That's though. right, they did. They did so. Yeah, so I, but I don't know if that was Marvel that was publishing their Fantastic Four. I think it was Marvel that was publishing their Fantastic Four comic because Stan and Jack, there'd be issues where like there, someone would go flying through the, a building and you'd see Stan and Jack discussing the plots for the next issue. Yeah, kind of I thing. guess so. Right. So the, I guess this isn't anything terribly new, but uh, but I I do enjoy it very much. And except the. I like that they get in Weekend Update and other stuff and like the all the back backstage stuff. I mean, it's, I mean, again, for a silly story, I think they found a good villain. Silver Silver Samurai's a pretty silly looking villain. He's got that really crazy helmet, like that tin pot helmet that looks really uncomfortable to wear and stuff. So, it, bite it, your tongue. Yeah. Oh well. I know. I think it's it's cute. It's funny. Um, the idea that Stan Lee like was famous enough to host SNL is hilarious. <laughs> like, you know. Well, that- that fit perfectly with his ego, probably. Exactly, I'm sure Stan would like to think of himself as somebody famous enough. Although they had a, uh, they one one they they did one episode where they had, they did a anyone could host contest where an old grandmother hosted the show. So I guess you know Stanley <laughs> wouldn't be that much of a exaggeration. But I don't know. I, I I my affection for the original Saturday Night Live is just boundless, and it was really one of the formative formative things of humor. In, in, in my childhood. And so this comic book, like I said, if I had seen it on the stands, I would have knocked, I would have uh, spent 35 cents uh, immediately. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I love it. I just, it's just really fun and silly. And of course, um, you know, the Avengers would go on to meet David Letterman. So, I mean, they would continue right. that tradition of the Marvel characters. It really did place the Marvel characters in New York. And of course, SNL was like the preeminent New York show. So uh, it, it makes a lot of sense. I got to mention two funny bits in there. One is Garrett Morse in the Thor costume. Yes. Not only is he, you know, in the Thor costume, he's wearing like a, a Thor. It's not a fat suit, but a muscle suit. Yeah, so he's got like he, fake he, arms because they're white. He's, he's got white arms. Yeah. Exactly. So it's Garrett Morse in a white guy, like fake arms with patches and stuff like that. But it, but it's, you can see his African-American face and the, and, the, and the criminals are like, wait a minute. Aren't you supposed to be like uh, Norse, yes. you know, or whatever? It's just it's funny, funny bit. And then uh, I love that. And it's not supposed to be funny, but it's funny to me how when when the crap goes down, Bill Murray like goes all super spy. He's (laughs) he's knocking somebody out and taking one of the bad guys clothes and running around posing as a bad guy like what? (laughs) Bill Murray really is the hero we always thought he should be. So that was great. From what I know of them, I get the sense Aykroyd would be the one that would do that of his personality. But but yeah, it works. Bill Murray is the hero we all we all we all want him to be because of course he's Bill Murray. So it's great. Lots of fun. You know, was the cheeseburger skit was that 
in season four then or something? Because there's no, there's not even a hint of it in here. Uh, they like, had done it by then. Yeah. They had oh, done okay. It. Yeah. They, I figured, they I figured were, there would have some joke in there with that, but I guess not. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they fit in some other, there's one moment where when Peter um, tries to leave the audience to, to mm-hmm. do, undress as Spider-Man, uh, the camera captures a picture of him. And SNL used to do these things where they would pick somebody out of the audience and put like a funny caption over them. And mm. they do that here. And you see when the camera captures Peter Parker and it, the, the crayon they put on his superhero in his spare time. <laughs> uh, which, of course, is, you know, more more uh, true than they know. But that that was another bit that they used to do on us and all the time. They were just kind of – again, it made – it was another thing that made the show different, that it would peer out into its own audience and make jokes about it and stuff. We got to do an episode just on SNL because, I mean, you could talk about in, – in I'm going to start misquoting stuff here, but I, I've always loved the skit with Aykroyd where he's this sleazy Halloween salesman selling costumes. Oh, yes. yeah. Irwin, like- Irwin Mainway. Like the Johnny bag of glass or whatever yes. it is. Yep. Johnny Human Torch. It's a ba- right. it's a bag of oily rags and a lighter. Yeah. Right. I use that with my kids. I, t- I talk about the bag of broken glass. And then um, I actually – I just the other day, um, my daughter was being lazy. And I'm like, what, do you want me to chew your food for you? What is this, pre-chewed Charlie's? Nah, pre-chewed, you know? it's pre-chewed Charlie's. <laughs> and right. so then I had to explain the joke to her, you know, and uh, – we, yeah, we should do a show on SNL. It's so much fun. Oh. <laughs> I would, I would love to do that. I have more SNL trivia in my head than I have any right to to know. So I would, I would bore you. But uh, since when I've been worried about that. But uh, yeah, no, that would that would be fun. That would be fun. I said it, it captures this, the show at a really particular moment. I mean, the the thing was just at its cultural. I mean, you, there's been other moments where it's it's reached that that level, but it was really at sort of like it's the zenith of its cultural impact. In 77, 78, 79. And, uh, you know, I said that's they managed it. I would love to know. Uh, I know Claremont has talked about it uh, in, in other places. I didn't get a chance to. Diablo Frank actually was kind enough to send me his contact information to reach out to him because he said that Claremont is, I know. He said that Claremont was like, is apparently very ready to talk about this comic. And I felt self conscious about it because it's like, yeah, he's like this legendary figure. And I want to ask him about this one obscure book that he wrote. But I would love to know just the genesis of this. Like, whose idea was this? You know, like, hey, let's get Peter Parker, let's get Spider Man and meet the SNL group like what a weird idea and like who pitched that to that did lord michaels get off it like you know did did any of the cast ever like if you brought this book to bill murray would he know it exists would he be just right. shocked or does he, he was like oh yeah this thing you know i would love to do that <laughs> well i'm glad you picked it because again i haven't read it in 30 years and it was super fun to revisit and brings bringing back so many snl memories so and of course, I love Spider-Man in the Bronze Age, which is great stuff. So, yeah. with fun, fun win all the way around. Then we got to talk about Sad Sack. Oh my gosh! Perfect. Well, folks, as Rob said at the beginning of the show, we didn't get a chance to dro- we did not get a chance to drop this on April Fool's Day. But here you go. Hopefully, it gives you a laugh going into April Fool's. And we'll be back next week with Who's Who, and maybe we'll have a little bit of hijinks in there. We'll have to figure that out. Probably not. But. Uh, actually, probably we will. <laughs> actually, you may not, but I will. I know how much you love pranks, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in, uh, in skits and acting and all those types of things. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, in the meantime, folks, please go out to our social media. Um, you can find us at FW Present, I'm sorry, FW Podcasts uh, on Facebook and Twitter. You can also find Rob under every other Twitter handle out there. I think he's probably going to start one for SNL Comics uh, next. He's probably already setting it up right now. That's right. Hold on, ticket, 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 ticket. That's me <laughs> typing. He's got so many he forgot. Like I think he forgot he had the hostess one because uh, I haven't seen you post on there in a while. Well, I ran out of ads. Oh, okay. All right. Fair <laughs> There's no more hostess ads to post. What do you it's want really me to do? Did you really post every single one? Yeah, I posted every one. 
Oh my gosh! There's the way I can't. I I can't make up new ones. I mean, I could, but I don't have the kind. Oh, well, that'd that, be a fun contest. I don't have that kind of time. There's. I found some in Harvey Comics. Did you post those too? Yes. Okay. All right. I found Fair a da- I found a database where it supposedly listed them all, and so I okay. found everyone I could find. Richie Rich did a lot. Casper, especially, he did a yes. lot of shilling for Hostess. Yes, he did. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, Sean Baby is a great resource yes. for all that. Yes. Stuff, so. Anyway, folks, uh, anyway, go out, share your thoughts on Sassack, share your thoughts on this SNL uh, comic, you know, anything along those lines, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, and I think that's going to do it. So we don't really have a tagline here. Rob, you want to close this out like they would on a Saturday Night Live TV show? Uh, good night, everybody. <laughs> we all, we're waving. You can't tell. We're waving, yeah. Waving the credits right are rolling. Yeah, it's like, you see, imagine you're seeing executive producer Lauren Michaels, writers Dan Aykroyd and Rosie <laughs> Schuster and Alan Zweibel. Oh, and then the NBC uh, peacock at the end. That's what well, before that, Rob and I are leaning in, whispering things to each other. Because that's what they use. You always wonder, wonder what they're saying to and each other. And then we're hugging the musical guest. Right, exactly. Which no one, everyone tuned out and went to the bathroom during. So I didn't. I, I did. the musical guest. <laughs> <laughs> I got a loss. Oh, oh, Sue Storm, the invisible girl. <laughs> Come on, right in. <laughs> I remember your name. Uh, I'm really uh, bad with names, you know. You don't remember me? We met several times. Uh, it's Ant-Man. A-N-T-M-A-N. Oh, right, right. Uh, Ant-Man. Oh, yes. what, are, what are your superpowers again? You, you, you talk to the ants, is that it? Well, partly, but mainly I shrink myself down to the size of an ant while retaining my full human strength. Really? Yes. Oh, that's really impressive. <laughs> size of an ant with human strength. You must be able to clean house on those other ants. <laughs> hey, hey, Hulk, hey. Check, check this guy out. Ooh. <laughs> Got the strength of a human. Ant-Man, huh? Where are your ants? <laughs> yes. They're, they're at home, uh, in the ant farm. <laughs> oh, best stay out of this guy's way. Oh, oh every oh, molecule's oh. quivering uh, now. Oh. <laughs> I don't see what's so funny. Is there something wrong with being Ant-Man? I mean, what's the joke? Oh, I don't see what's so funny. Oh, great, great Ant-Man. Oh, excuse me. Don't worry about it, oh. We're just ribbing you.